team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we draw, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podskiwiwi. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, we have a lot to get into today. It's an all Tie Cats show today. Nothing but Tie Cats talk. We're going to review uh, Saturday's loss, finish out giving the grades for the team's major defensive additions that they made during the offseason. And of course, we're going to preview Saturday's potential playoff clinching matchup with the Calgary Stampeders. But first, we have something fun to talk about, and that is hashtag World's Team is continuing to move forward unabated. If you're a longtime listener of the show, you'll remember I probably, what, sometime in uh, early spring, late winter maybe, we we came up with the idea of the Ticats being the World's Team because they were everywhere. And there was a photo posted online of a Tiger Cats fan who posted a picture of their Tiger Cats hat as they were in attendance at Sunday night's Pittsburgh Steelers, Las Vegas Raiders NFL game at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Ticat fans continue to be everywhere. We continue to be the world's team. That's why we proclaim them as the world's team. And this just further proves that point, does it not? It really does. You know, you just can't beat the Tiger Cat fan base. You just can't. Uh, There might be a green team out there that claims to be, you know, Canada's team and the best fan base and all that. But, you know, you can look at, you know, attendance and merchandise sales. None of that matters. We all know that the Hamilton Tiger Cats are the world's team and the Galaxy's team and also the universe's team. So, you know, this just further proves it. Hamilton Tiger Cat fans all over North America. It's uh, it's a wonderful thing to be a Tiger Cat fan. Is the Galaxy? Yeah. Universe is bigger than the Galaxy, right? Yes, yes, that is correct. Yeah, yeah, because the Milky Way is a galaxy, and okay, yes, okay, I was yeah. just like, like, did he say yeah, that? Universe right? is, I, the universe is uh, always is expanding, apparently. Yes, correct. You are right. Here, you come I'm to the show for to. football talk, and we give you some science chit chat, yes. probably because we want to uh, delay discussing what we have <laughs> to discuss next. So let's just rip this bandaid off now, Mike. Ticats lost to the Argos once again, this time twenty-nine to fourteen at BMO Field on Saturday night. The loss means that the Argos swept the season series for the first time since 2007, have won six straight dating back to last year and 10 of the last 13, including the playoffs. In the four games this season, the Ticats managed to score more than 20 points just once and held the Argos to under 30 points just once. My biggest takeaway from this game is that this has become as lopsided a rivalry as one can get. And if the Ticats are to make the Grey Cup for a third time in four years, they simply have to find a way to beat the Argos, and they look incapable of doing that right now. Mike, what was your big takeaway from Saturday's loss? Another really slow start for the Ticats offense, only scoring four points in the first half. 
And then, I mean, not much better in the second half. Yes, they racked up some yards and they scored 10 points in the fourth quarter. But, you know, you just can't get off to those slow starts against the Toronto Argonauts team who have regularly come out the gates on fire in this regular season. They put up 16 points in the first quarter and then, you know, didn't really match that the rest of the game. But um, they added to their lead and it was just never in question the whole game. Taylor Powell, to me looked lost especially in that first half it, I, I remember a game he played against the Argonauts earlier in the season and it reminded me of it quite a bit he's in the pocket he's uh he doesn't seem to be able to find any open receivers and also I thought the O-line didn't play didn't play very well either so there wasn't a run game the offense looked anemic uh early on the defense couldn't guard couldn't you know couldn't stop the the passing attack and uh yeah, it was it was just an ugly performance by the Tiger Cats overall. All right, let's get into Taylor Powell a bit here. You talked about it. he had a rough night. He finished the game with respectable numbers. Like if you look at the stat sheet, you're going to go, oh, he must have played reasonably well. He went 27 of 42 for 334 yards, the most yards he's thrown for in a game in his short professional career. But he had just the one touchdown pass and two horrendous interceptions, mm-hmm. both of which he threw to Winton McManus. One was returned for a touchdown that was early in the game. I think it was the Ticats' second or third possession where he threw that pick. And the other was nearly returned for a score, but then set up what was essentially the game-ending touchdown two plays later. Powell had been riding high after back-to-back excellent outings against the Bombers and Red Blacks. You already talked about how you were disappointed in his performance, so we won't really get into that. But more importantly, are you worried now that the book might be out on him? And now he'll kind of come crashing back down to earth like we've seen so many young QBs before him who start off. And Powell didn't start off super hot when he got in there, but it looked like he started to find his groove a little bit. But now he's had this – again, I know the numbers look good, but this felt like maybe his worst performance. And and it felt like a significant downgrade from what we've seen. And we we know that progression isn't linear, and there's going to be rough nights, especially for a rookie. But are you now concerned that maybe, I don't know, teams – are they kind of know how to defend him now and maybe he won't be as successful or, or is this a one-off for you because he just went up against an excellent Argos team? There you go. Yeah. That, that you know, Taylor Powell, there's going to be ups and downs with the rookie quarterback, every rookie quarterback, unless you're, you know, even Doug Flutie back in the day, he, he threw up a ton of yards, but his first year, I wouldn't necessarily consider a, a grand success, but no, I, I always think of Ricky Ray. Ricky Ray's the one I always, yeah. I know people say Flutie, yep. but didn't they win the cup and Ray's rookie year? That's a good question. I know that I remember watching his first game that he played because they were calling him the raw rookie, Ricky Ray. And uh, I remember him letting the world on fire in his very first game. I'm not sure if he won the Grey Cup in his first year, but I know in that first game he was, you know, he was Ricky Ray. Uh, he started in, oh, no, they, sorry, they won the Grey Cup his second season. Um, yeah. He came in in 02. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, you're right. So, but even his first year, I think, it, I think his numbers were fairly decent, but, oh, yeah. but again, we're talking about, we're talking about Ricky Ray and we're talking about Doug Flutie and like two of the greatest ever do it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, those are two yeah. of the 10, five best quarterbacks of all time. So we're not, we're not talking about Taylor Powell in those, in those terms, but no. I, I think the audience knows what you mean when you talk about like even guys that great struggle early. Yeah. So we're going to see some ups and downs to me. This is just coming up against, you know, one of the best defenses in the league. Now, we saw him play against the Bombers a couple of weeks ago and it did a tremendous job. So, we're going to they're going to have to look at this Argonaut teams because if they make the, you know, if they play them in the playoffs again, obviously there's going to be have to be some changes, but to me it's it's just 
the up and downs of a, of a rookie quarterback, and I expect him to bounce back uh, this weekend against Calgary. Yeah, and we have seen him string together. Like I said, those two games prior to this one were both really good, so it's not as if he's good one week, bad the next, bad, you know what I mean? Like, he's he's put together some decent performances back-to-back, and I think Toronto's just given him a hard time. Like, Labor Day, I didn't think he was very good, even though the team put up a ton of points, although they scored a lot of those late in the game when it was already decided. But this is what the Argos have done to everybody this year. Like, no one has looked good against them. And we're going to see that defense go up against Zach Claros this week. But with the Argos having nothing to play for, I'm not sure how much we're going to see there. It's going to be difficult to get a beat on whether any team can actually slow down the Argos at full strength until we see it in the East Final now, essentially. Because the only other loss they suffered this season was Chad Kelly got hurt midway through the first half and missed the second half of the game. And I think even Argos fans would tell you that should Kelly get injured at any point down the stretch here and miss the playoffs, as good as their record might be, they'd be hard pressed to win with, with, with Dukes. I think it's Cam Dukes, Cameron Dukes, I think is his name. Yeah. Um, as, as their starting quarterback, like he's just, he's just not that guy. You know what I mean? So I'm not overly concerned. I will be more concerned if he goes up against Calgary and has another poor outing. You know what I mean? Because I don't think the Stampeders defense is that good. I don't think Stampeders are that good, and there's an opportunity here for Hamilton. Hamilton could go into this game, and we'll get into it later when we discuss the Stamps game, knowing a win gets them into the playoffs. And then once you're in, now you can start trying to balance your team to to start peaking at the right time. And we saw this team last year do the same thing. There was a lot, like we talk about the 5-1 and one finish, but there was a loss in there. So we'll have to keep seeing whether or not this uh, this team can now bounce back from from getting beat up by the Argos again as they've had happen all season. It's just that this is, this is the case of, of what we get with the tie cats and our, and it's, you know, little, you know what they say though, Josh, you know what they say? Tough to beat a team five times. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard tough to beat a team three times. It's tough to beat yeah, a team four times. Yeah. Look, I'll, I will, <laughs> if these two teams meet in the East final, you best believe we'll be throwing out that old chestnut. Oh, it'll, it'll be as, as annoying as hearing about the 2011 BC Lions from you and I. Yes. Yes. So if there was one positive to take from this game from an offensive standpoint for the Ticats, it was the play of Keontre Smith. He finished with a career high nine catches for 156 yards, the first 100 yard game of his career. He also did it with his dad in attendance, Adrian Smith, who was actually there being recognized by the Argos, which I thought was kind of weird. But then I noticed when they showed him on the big screen that he was wearing like a yellowish sweater vest and a Kansas City Royals hat, and no Argo stuff whatsoever. So I was like, oh, okay. So he he won free tickets to come see his kid play, mm-hmm. essentially. And uh, was like, oh, yeah, I'll let you honor me, but didn't wear any Argos paraphernalia whatsoever. So I thought that was kind of cool. Anyway, as regular listeners of the show will know, I was super high on Smith coming into the year. I liked what I saw from my training camp. Thought he was in line for a massive season. He has dwarfed his numbers from last year. He has over 400 yards receiving. I think he has 40-something catches, which is miles ahead of where he was a season ago. But he's never been that consistent week-in, week-out part of the offense. But he was Hamilton's best offensive player on Saturday. What would you make of his game? And do you think this could be kind of the launching point for him to become a more featured part of the offense going forward? I'm hoping so. You know, we've been waiting for that breakout Canadian receiver to really take the reins and run with it. And we've expected him to be that guy. And... In this last game, we saw the potential that he has. I mean, 156 yards, he was making circus catches. It was very, very impressive. So hopefully this just 
isn't just a blip and well obviously we're not going to see those gaudy numbers for him going forward but to be a, a key uh contributor to this offense would would be a big help since we've lost guys like duke williams out of the lineup it uh we need the other guys to step up and hopefully he can do that in the future yeah and it's just i i know it's kind of nationalistic I just really like Canadian receivers when they have a featured role, like Andy Fantuz, you like to see Dave Stout. Like you think of Ticats players of the past, Mike Morreale, uh, Rocky DiPietro, like this, this team has a, has a great history of Canadian receivers. And it's just, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm alone in this. Cause I know you're not a big QB, a Canadian QB guy, but do you, is it not just something about a Canadian receiver having that like being that number one, number two, number th- like that thousand yard guy. Like, isn't there just something yeah. like, I guess for lack of a better term, like nice about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I just feel you as gravitate if it's, towards those players. Yeah. Just because they're the Canadian kids and, you know, they're, they're, they're not the featured receiver. Like they're not the number one guy ever. I don't recall. Maybe I, you know, I could be wrong on this, but I don't recall a number one receiver being a Canadian. Um, I know Andy Fintus is great, but he was never the, number one guy in Saskatchewan oh, he led or Hamilton. Receiving one year. He did lead the re- league in receiving one mm, year. I suppose, yeah, he did. He went down to the Bears probably the year after, right? I think that's exactly what happened. I think he yeah. led the CFL in receiving in 2010 and then was with the Bears in training camp in 2011. Yeah, so maybe he's the last guy, but it, it is it is fun to see the Canadian guys thrive in the quote-unquote um, skilled positions. Um, and I'm not against Canadian quarterbacks. I just don't. Nathan Rourke was great, and and Trey Ford is really exciting. I just think he needs to get better at passing, but that's here nor there. Um, it is fun to watch a guy like Keandre Smith come in and, and do his thing and show that if the Canadians get a shot, they can really contribute as well. Yeah, I was going to say Dave Sapungis was a pretty good. I'm pretty sure oh, he, he was good. Yeah. But then it's he like, oh Alan wait, Pitts. hold on. He was on. He was in Calgary in the '90s. He was dwarfed yeah. by Alan Pitts. So yeah. it's like, oh yeah, Ray okay. Elgard. Elgard. Yeah, Rayel. Yeah, but was he was he the number one in uh, you know yeah. what? Again, same Don with Pietro here though too, right? Like yeah, Don Narcisse was there, and like Rocky was here, and they had Tony Champion and and Earl Winfield. So yeah, but but those guys still they don't you don't have to be a number one I think to kind of get no. into that that conversation. But you're right, it's very very rare if not I think with the exception of Fantuz, I'm not sure. And I'm sure when Fantuz led the league in receiving at the time, which is, you know, almost 15 years ago now, which is crazy to think they were, they were probably talking, Oh, he's the last, he's the first Canadian receiver to lead the CFL and receiving since X, you know what I mean? And right. it's been so long that I don't remember who that could have been. All right, moving on. Let's talk about the defense for a second here by all statistical measure. They had their best game against Toronto this year, 16 of the 29 points allowed weren't really their fault. And nine of them were outright scored while they were on the bench. So you cannot count those against them at all. The other was a, a pick by Taylor Powell that was taken out of like the four yard line. The defense gave up a touchdown two plays later. You can they allowed the TD, but at the same time, it's like you put a team on the four. What else do you expect? They held the Argos to 305 net yards, which is pretty good. Three and a half yards per carry and only 67 rushing yards. Period. And they forced Chad Kelly, who's been fairly good with the football into two interceptions. There might be some loudmouth idiot doing the old come at me, bro, about the Ticats defense right now, but I thought they played rather well. What about you? Yeah, I thought 
I thought, you know, I know that Olette was out and Andrew Harris was out, but to hold the Argonauts rushing attack to uh, 67 yards and three and a half yards per carry was pretty impressive. You know, uh, with that offensive line, they're they're fantastic in front of Kelly. They didn't allow any sacks in this game, which was kind of disappointing for the Ticats. I felt like they didn't get much pressure, but but the the rush defense I thought w- was really good and uh, encouraging to see. And besides coming out really strong, I thought that the Ticats held the Argonauts, you know, pretty well in that game. They only had nine points in the second half, and like, like you said, those you know a lot of those points can't be contributed to the Ticats defense. So I thought they played pretty well considering. Well, I mean, given that it was 16-3 at the end of the first quarter, and then they allowed a single touchdown the rest of the way, you know what I mean? Like, you look at C-29 points, and this is why it's there's always nuance in these discussions. Like, you look and see 29 points, and you go, oh, man, they almost got 30 hung on them again, and typical Ticats defense can't... I thought that they did rather well, all things considered. Like, they kept them in this game for the vast majority of it. And it was the offensive mistakes. It's the two interceptions that led to 14 points. It's the safety that led to two more points. Like it's those things that hurt this team more so than the way the defense play. You know what I mean? Like you can, you can blame the defense for allowing points if you want, but you have to look at the offense and give them to me, like if you're, if you're, you know, serving up a blame pie here, for instance, 80, 20, maybe, you know what I mean? Like it's 10, nothing. And they've been on the field for eight minutes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, I, I just don't know you what else you can points. expect from the deep. You, you have to score points, points against you those have guys. To score points. And yeah. you can't make mistakes. You, they made too yeah. many mistakes. That was a big thing from this game as well. The penalties they took one, like how many, legal procedure calls to Jordan Murray take. They had back-to-back mm-hmm. offsides that uh, on the defense, this was too, that gave the Argos a first down. There was a holding call that negated a massive punt return by Tyreek McAllister. Like against a team like Toronto, you simply can't make those mistakes. They made too many of them and it cost them the game. Now, maybe they would have lost regardless of those things. I'm, I mean, I'm sure they would have, but those things definitely didn't make it any easier on them. They, I don't want to say that they lost the game, not that the Argos won, because I think that that's stupid to say in most cases. But there were there's a lot of things you can point to in this game and go if they and it was unforced things like illegal procedure calls is not anything the Argos did. Going offside is not anything the Argos did. A holding penalty is not anything the Argos did. You know what I mean? Like it's things they did to themselves that hurt them. And that's why they ended up on the losing side here. Yeah, absolutely. Against a team like the Argonauts, I mean, they're 12-1 and one now or whatever they are, and, you know, they've looked good all season long. You just can't – you can't turn over the ball, and you can't take stupid penalties. And it's unfortunate that Murray got those procedure calls because he's a great player, but that was kind of the, the knock on him before mm-hmm. he left for the NFL, you know, the penalties. So I'm hoping that he can clean that up because he's a, he's a tremendous addition to the offensive line. He just can't be taking those penalties. This game also saw Simone Lawrence amass the 10th most tackles of anyone ever in CFL history when he hit 723. He is unlikely to get any higher this year, but he has a shot to get into the top eight if he returns to play either here or somewhere else next season. We've had this discussion before, and I think we've even put it out on social media. Is there any argument now against him being the greatest linebacker in Tiger Cats history? 
And is he not one of the five to eight best defensive players to ever wear a tie catch uniform? Like these things now, like we're not going to get into these silly arguments anymore. Are we like, he's the best to play his position ever for this team. And he's easily in the top 10 of defensive players in this franchise's overall history. No. Yes. And yes, I, I think you got to give, you know, all the kudos to Simone for having a, a, a fantastic career as a tiger cat. And he's, uh, you know, people don't like him and that's fine, but we love him and he's been great this whole time. And you're, you're absolutely right. He's, he's one of the greatest to ever put on a black and yellow uniform. And then he's probably the greatest linebacker of all time. And that's saying a lot because the Tiger Cats have had a lot of great linebackers. So, you know, you can't say, I can't say more good things about Simone. He's been great with the team. He's been great in the community. He's fully embraced the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and uh, we love them. Is who who would you even have in the conversation? You know what I mean? Like, is it him and Ben Zambiazzi, and that's about it? I'd say so. Like in the you know you're looking back at like you know statistics and length of career with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Those are the top two guys for sure in my mind. Yeah, and then just defensive players as a whole. It's those two. It's Monford, Mosca, Mosca. Garney Henley. Covington, Grover, Grover Covington. Covington. I, I put like, Hitchcock up there because I'm a big, big Hitchcock. Yeah, guy. yeah, that's fine. I just, I just think it, it's hard to, you know, Les Brown obviously is someone who, but he yep, played tremendous. in a lot of places, not just the with long. When it comes to longevity with the team, I think your Mount Rushmore of defensive players for the Tie Cats are Mosca. Oh man, this that's this is hard now. Because is it Mosca or is it Henley? But Henley you could put because he was a two-way player. Yeah. Is it Mosca, Covington, Monford, Simone? Yeah, that's a nuanced conversation that we might have to. We might have. We to, might to, that we, might be a subject. We might have to do this at, uh, at a later that, date. We might have to table this for for an off-season yeah. podcast, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I think that would I we could so. come up with like Mount Rushmores of of. Yeah, positions that would be some good content for when we're sitting here trying to go what the hell do we talk about this week yes, so maybe exactly. maybe we'll keep that one to the side maybe you know what we'll we'll take some suggestions from some of our very informed and intelligent listeners out there who can uh maybe even some older listeners who remember the the glory days of of days mm-hmm. of your that and maybe we're forgetting some guys but those are the i think those are the five that kind of pop out in my head you know what i mean so anyway we'll, we'll i like your idea we'll table that to the off season all right. I wasn't going to do this, but I, I I am to hell with it. I'm I'm lighting trash cans on fire today, buddy. We're, we're causing all sorts of trouble. I need to bring up something because it bugged me while I was at the game. So I was, I went to the game in Toronto, uh, had great seats. Unfortunately, it didn't go our way, but I've had the privilege of being at a reasonable number of CFL stadiums. I don't think it's a lot or anything. I've been to more than half of the current ones that are open. I've also been to the Sky Dome and then whatever stadium hosted TD Atlantic in 2011. I went to that one too. I have never heard a worse PA announcer than whoever the guy is that does the Argos games. Mike, I kid you not when I say this, Ticats were out to punt and he called our punter Bailey Flint. Now I know they wear the same number, but Bailey Flint has not been here six weeks, two months almost. I think it was after the first bye week he didn't come back. And then that's when the Ticats traded Antonio Pipkin out to Saskatchewan. Maybe it was a second bye week, but regardless, it's been a while since Bailey Flint was a Ticats punter. It's Kari Vedvik now, by the way. 
Kyle Oxley came to the game and he called him Kyle, which to me is <laughs> that's bad. That that's bad. That's not the dude's name. Like, yikes. Was he was he? As, do, do you remember uh, when you came out here for the Grey Cup and there was a PA announcer? He was horrific as well. Was he as he was bad as that? Bad. He was very bad. I think it was worse. That guy was very robotic, if I recall. And it didn't this seem guy, like he knew the 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 players or anything yeah, like that. But but yeah. Yeah. No, I I'm not gonna say this guy's not knowledgeable. He just screwed a bunch of stuff up. My, the thing about it was like so, the Argos scored a bunch of touchdowns. Crowd's going crazy. And when he calls the touchdowns, he says touchdown really low, like touchdown Argos. And it's like, I just feel as if it needed a little more pomp. I don't know. Mm. I just don't like the way that the guy does does the games. And I don't, here's the thing. I don't think the guy that the Ticats have, I don't think he's the greatest or anything ever, but I think he's way better than this, this Argos guy. Like, I don't know if this team, because it's the Argos, did they cheap out and hire someone who would work for like, free Argos gear and some hot dog vouchers from the concession stands. But like, <laughs> it doesn't sound, it doesn't. And again, maybe this is also because, and I hate doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I just had the experience of being at a Pittsburgh Steelers game and listen to their PA announcer. Now he blows the Ticats guy out of the water too, but it's like, Oh, that's what they're supposed to sound like. Like I'm not supposed to be like, I don't know. I just, I just thought he was awful. And he made the game that was already not fun to watch even more unbearable. Like at least if the PA announcer is exciting and entertaining, I can kind of enjoy it. But in this case, it was just dull, I guess would be the best way to put it. So if anyone from the Argos is listening to this, maybe try to find someone new next year. Cause I just don't think this guy is it. I'm sure there's going to be people who are going to tweet at us after listening to this and talk about, you know, we're going to go to bat for him. He's a great guy. He does this, that, and all. I don't care about any of that. I go to a game. I want to be entertained. The play on the field, if you're like from a neutral perspective was fine, but nothing ex- exceptional. The game, the experience, the stadium, just, I don't know. I just, I did not enjoy myself and he was chief amongst them. So I got that off my chest. I said my piece. If I, I'm probably going to get hammered for this from some some corners, but whatever. I said what I said. I stand by it. I'm done with with this game. Is there anything else you want to talk about, or do you want to move on? Now I, I'm thinking we can move on from this one. We got four more games to go for the Tie Cats, and I'm expecting better things. So let's flush this one down the toilet. All right, Kachun flushed. There it goes. There so go. last week we donned our nicest tweed jackets and played teacher for a week, handing out some grades to a number of the offensive players that the team brought in over the winter. This week we're going to put those coats back on, but we're going to switch sides this time. And we're going to hand out grades to five mm. players on the defense that the Hamilton Tiger Cats brought in, veteran players they brought in during free agency and in and around that free agency time. We're going to start on the defensive line with Casey Sales, who the team brought over from Winnipeg to replace Micah Johnson, who signed with the Riders. Sales has played in all 14 games for the Ticats this year, recording 40 tackles, four sacks, and two tackles for loss. I think he's actually improved as the season's gone on and has gotten really good these last few weeks. I thought he was especially excellent against the Red Blacks and the Bombers. He has been kind of the anchor of the middle of that Ticats defensive line all year, which has been a little bit spotty. So, Mike, what grade would you give this move? I give Sales uh, a B minus. Uh, I think he's been good, 
but I don't think he's been overly good. Um, you know, the run defense has been, and I know that one player, you can't judge one player on a, on a, on a team stat, but to me, he hasn't overly, I haven't noticed him a, a ton. And maybe that's just me not knowing defensive line play enough, but to me, he's not, he hasn't been bad, but he hasn't been great. So he's, he's good. He's easy. He gets a B minus from me. Yeah, I got it. I got this move as a B. We're in kind of the same category here. He hasn't been that dominant force that you kind of want to see in the middle. Like he hasn't come in here and taken over the middle of the defensive line, like say Dylan Wynn did when he signed back in mm-hmm. 2019. And maybe that's holding sales to a much higher standard than he should be. But he was brought in as as a Micah Johnson replacement, but also kind of as a little bit of a replacement for Dylan Wynn because he was hurt. So that he hasn't kind of lived up to that, but he has been good. And I think if you're good, you get kind of a B grade. Like, I don't know if there's been a, he's been a significant upgrade over Micah Johnson, who they brought in last year. So I think it's only fair to kind of give him a nice middle of the road. You get a nice B, you get your, you know, your 74% on your report card and you're not thrilled with it. It's not it's like you something you're going to post on the refrigerator, but you're not, you know, crying tears of, oh, I can't believe how badly I failed type of thing. That might not be the case for the next guy we're going to talk about because the other defensive lineman that this team signed was Jagarrett Davis. Davis returned to Hamilton after playing last year with the Argos, and it has been a controversial season for the former All-Star. He was traded to the Calgary Stampeders in the summer, but that deal was voided when it was learned that Davis had a torn meniscus. But even when he was on the field, he was very ineffective. He has just seven tackles and zero sacks in six games this season, and he's just returned to the lineup after a long absence from said torn meniscus. I am suspecting this will be a very low grade here, Mike, but what letter are you putting on this move? I got to give him an F. He just, he hasn't contributed at all to this team's defense. And like you mentioned, you know, he had that injury, but early on he just, you know, and I'm getting this from you mostly is that he didn't seem interested. He just, you know, hearing the way you talked about him in practice and then seeing him in the games uh, being completely ineffective, this was a complete failure bringing him back. And that's the reason why he gets an F. Yeah, I got an F. If I could go lower than F, I would. A Z, you know what I mean? And I, it feels like piling on at this point with him because you're right, I have been fairly critical of him since training camp. Showed up late, didn't do a whole heck of a lot. Came 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 into the season, didn't do a ton when he was out there. Now, maybe that was partially due to the, the knee injury, but now he's back out there. Same sort of attitude at practice. Although I the thing I will give him credit for is he's returned to the team, he's returned to the field, and it hasn't seemed to affect his demeanor in any way. You know what I mean? Like, you would think that coming to work at a workplace where they said, we don't want you anymore – would be awkward, but it hasn't seemed to rise to the level of anything with him. He's he came back a couple he, he after the trade was voided, he came back and started working with the strength coaches and the trainers, and now he's worked his way back into the lineup. And hopefully, he he was always a, a end of the season guy. I just think he's cooked, quite honestly, or at least close to it. Maybe he goes on a run here at the end and helps the Ticats get to the Grey Cup and get himself to another Grey Cup game, but I'll wait and see. But seven tackles and zero sacks, and he's only played in six games. This can't be anything other than than a complete and utter fail. So, yeah, an F for me on this one as well. 
Ticats made a pair of changes at linebacker. First one was bringing in former Calgary Stampeder Jameer Thurman to replace Jovan Santos Knox, who signed with the Ottawa Red Blacks. Despite what some know-it-all curmudgeonly former Hamilton area radio host might tell you, Thurman has had a great first year with the Ticats. He leads the team with 75 tackles to go along with three sacks, two interceptions, and a forced fumble. He has been the playmaker this defense has needed. He has been the playmaker that he came advertised as. I think he has ably manned the middle of the defense and formed an impressive trio with Simone Lawrence and the man we will discuss next, Chris Edwards. But before we get to Edwards, what grade would you put on the move to bring the Terminator to the hammer? I'm going to give him an A. Uh, I think he's been great since he's arrived. Uh, he's filled in nicely when when Knox left the ta- that <clears throat> when he left the team. So I, I just feel like he's he's good in coverage. He he's a good linebacker. Um, he's done a great job. You know the defense hasn't been great this year, but it's not because of him and it's not because of the linebackers. So he gets an A for me. Yeah, I, like I said, he's been making plays like. He's got a very, even though he plays in the middle, he's got a very Markeith Knowlton type aspect to his game. And maybe that's not what you want from a guy in the middle of the, of the linebacking trio, but it's definitely someone you want on the defense. And I don't, again, there's people out there who will remain nameless that are trying to thrust all the blame for the team's terrible run defense on Thurman. And I don't think that's fair. I think he, he's been the same player that he was in Calgary that got him the contract here that they loved in Calgary. I don't think he's been anything less than that. So I too will give this an A. I think he's been excellent. And I hope that the deal he signed with the Ticats, which I believe was for one year gets another, I hope he gets an extension multiple years here. Cause I think he could be a real stalwart in the middle of that defense for quite some time. I think he's been awesome and I want to see him stick around. Now on to Edwards, the controversial former Argo was signed by the team to take over the Sam linebacker spot vacated when Cam Kelly went to go play in, I think it was the XFL. Pretty sure he went to the XFL. It was either the XFL or the USFL. And then the same thing now, so it doesn't really matter. But he went down south to play in one of the spring leagues. In 14 games, Edwards has 39 tackles, four tackles for loss, four sacks, an interception, a fumble recovery, and a touchdown. Basically the perfect stats for a Sam linebacker. He did have that ugly incident earlier in the season with Montreal receiver Austin Mack, for which he was fined, but he has mostly kept his nose clean since then. So, Mike, it was kind of a 50-50 thing amongst Cat fans when Edwards was signed. So what grade would you give the move to bring him in? I thought he's been great as well, and uh, I'm going to give him an, an A-. minus. And it's the only reason he's getting an A- minus is because of that incident you mentioned. And, you know, he had the reputation coming in, and he kind of showed – uh, why he has that reputation earlier on in the season. But overall, like the, the play on the field has been great. And if it wasn't for that one incident, he would be getting an A for me. So I'm a little, even though I said he's been, he's been pretty good. I'm going a little lower. I'm going to go with a B for him because I do think that in the last few weeks, he's kind of been a little bit invisible. You know what I mean? And maybe that's a good thing. Partially, you know what I mean for, he's not doing anything stupid. So he's not getting his name out there, but also the past defense has been a little, sketchy the last few weeks we've seen both toronto and winnipeg hit some big plays on him we saw ottawa pile up some some yards on him although that was more in the run game than the passing game but he was out there as a veteran on that side on that wide side of the field with some unknown like lawrence woods was out there against the bombers uh dexter lawson was out there against the bombers i would have liked to have seen edwards kind of step up into a, a more leadership role to help those guys and and the defense didn't really do all that well. 
especially on deep plays against Winnipeg. And they got beat for a mm-hmm. deep one against Toronto as well early in the game. So again, he's been good. Uh, I don't think he's been Cam Kelly good. I, so I think it's been a downgrade from Kelly, but it, Aside from that one thing, it hasn't been the. I thought this was going to be a disaster. I thought this was going to be. I thought he was going to be getting fined and suspended left and right. But one one incident. What well, what is it now? Twelve, thirteen weeks ago. I, I'm not going to hold that. Conti- continue to hold that against him. But he's been good, not been great. So I'll give it a B. And like maybe if he didn't have the thing with Mac, maybe it's a B plus. Maybe I get it to an A. But right now, I'll go with a solid B. All right, last one here, Mike. The team revamped their secondary this offseason, letting a number of veteran players go, but the only veteran they brought in to replace one of those departed vets was Javian Elliott, who they signed away from the Calgary Stampeders to take over for Cariel Brooks, who they released and later signed with, shockingly, the Ottawa Red Blacks. Elliott has been a day-one starter for the Ticats. He has started all 14 games this year, registering 39 tackles and three interceptions. Hamilton's secondary has been under fire all season, Elliott plays that uh, boundary halfback position, which usually gets a lot of attention. Secondary hasn't been great. What grade do you put on the team's move to bring in Elliott? I think Elliott's been fine. I give him a B. Uh, there's been certain DBs that have got picked on this season when when teams go up against the Tie Cats, and I feel like he hasn't been one of them. You haven't heard a lot from him, and I feel like that's a good thing, especially considering, like you said, on the boundary side, there's going to be a lot of balls thrown his way, and it just doesn't seem like that's happening a lot. So I think he's been good, but I don't think he's been great. So for that reason, I give him a B. Yeah, we're close here. I'm going to go B-. minus. I just think that the, the secondary in the past defense has been so bad. And again, as a guy who came in with a little bit of hype, he came in with the, probably the least amount of hype of all the free agents they signed but there was a little bit of hype there there was some like oh he never really got a chance to show what he could do in calgary but now he's going to be in a featured role and he, he might get a chance to do it here and i don't necessarily know if he's been all that great i don't know if this team would have been better off keeping cario brooks you know what i mean because although brooks barely has barely played this season due to injury in ottawa so and that's kind of the thing the guys that they've let go most of the ones that have signed in ottawa you think of joe Santos knox who was on the sixth game twice now i think he's played maybe three or four games for Ottawa. Same with Cario Brooks. I don't think he's played that many games there. So the move was probably the right one to make given age and, and such, but it just, he hasn't been. And again, maybe this is a situation where I haven't heard a ton about him. I haven't watched a ton. You know what I mean? Like there hasn't mm-hmm. been a lot to talk about with him and maybe that is a good thing, but you still, you'd like to see a guy who's probably getting a fair amount of, attention from the opposing quarterback to maybe have a few more interceptions, but I don't know, maybe that's just nitpicking at this point, but I'll go B minus here. So overall, now we've done both the offense and the defense. There's really nothing to talk about special teams wise. You know what I mean? Like, I guess Mark Leggio, they brought in, but that wasn't a free agent side. That was a slapdash thing, but I think that's been a great move. I'm sure you, you yeah. like that move as well. Um, what would you kind of give the Ticats off season when it comes to player movement as a whole, like a grade for everything? Mm. So we talked last week, you gave, we gave F's out. You gave F's out at least I know to, to Duke to, I think you gave an F to Figueroa coming in. You might even give one give to Duke. In. I gave an F you to You didn't Bo. give one to Duke? No. You gave an F to, yeah, it was, yeah, you gave, gave an F to Bo. Mm. And I think you may have given an F to Figueroa or you, you at least gave a D. Maybe you yeah, gave a D to yeah. Duke. I think I think a D. Uh, let's yeah. take a look here, actually. Maybe I can look it up. You got them written down. And then James Butler, I think we both gave A's to. 
So there's been some, there's been some low grades, but some high grades. What would you kind of give the entire team's roster revamp here as a whole? Where does this kind of fall for you? So I gave Bo an F and I gave Figueroa a D. Uh, okay. Just for okay. Transparency. Um, okay. Overall, not very good, man. Not very good. I mean, there's been a couple guys that have played really well, but we signed a lot of free agents and, and a lot of them haven't worked out. So I, I'd give it overall a D. It, it's been a, you know, we're, we have a losing record. We had very high expectations. I know injuries have, you know, been a factor in this, but a lot of these guys have been whiffs. So I, I give it a D. I'm going to give it a C minus, but I'm in kind of the same camp as you. They made all these moves to be better, to be a better team than they were a year ago. A year ago, they finished eight and 10. What's this team going to finish? Nine and nine? Like you make all those changes to win one more game, but potentially probably still finish third in the East. Maybe win a playoff game if they're lucky. Maybe not. Like if this team, if this team ends with them eight, like maybe we revisit this right at the very end of the year. But if this team finishes eight and 10 and loses in the semifinal to Montreal, then it's an F because none of the moves yeah. meant a damn thing. You know what I mean? Like every single change this team made meant absolutely nothing because they finished the season in the exact same way, losing in the playoffs to the exact same opponent in the exact same stadium. So maybe if this team can roll like they're, what are they? Six and eight right now. Maybe yeah. this team rolls off four straight. I mean, I remember when we did the how how, how we thought the season would end. You had them winning these last four. They finished ten and eight, finished second. Okay, the grade gets bumped up a little bit because they are a better team. And if they get to the East final, well, they they did better than last year. But this was supposed to be these were supposed to be A plus moves, and this was supposed to be a team that at this point in the year, the Argos weren't resting guys because maybe the Argos are ten and one, but the Ticats are or twelve and one, but the Ticats are ten and three. And they're right there in the thick of this thing. Instead, they're scratching and clawing for a playoff spot. Maybe lucky if they can host a playoff game this year. That is not where this team thought it would be. That's not where this fan base thought they would be. And that's not what these moves signified this team expected them to be. So you give it a D. I think that's completely fair. I'll be a little less harsh and give it a C minus. But that grade could plummet if this team ends up in the same spot they were a year ago, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... They're, they're, they were going for it all, and they they were not keeping that a secret, and it just hasn't worked out so far. Now, if they can finish 9-9, nine and nine, I'll be happy. If they can finish 10-8, and eight, I'll be even happier. But, you know, we have four games left to go, and they have a lot to prove in those four games. Well, and the thing is, too, if they win the Grey Cup, then these were A-plus moves. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, yep. Regardless of what we – like, we can give Bo a D. We can give Bo an F. But if they're hoisting the cup at the end of the year, doesn't matter. Yeah, so, if Bo oh, comes in – if Bo comes in – and he leads this team to a championship, I'll change my grade to an A+, because that's what the goal was. <laughs> it doesn't matter that he didn't play most of the season. If he can do that, then uh, he gets an A+, from me. All right, our final topic today, like I said, it's an all Cats episode, is our weekly game preview. The Tabbies host the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday night at Tim Hortons Field, and this, as I said at the top of the show, is a potential playoff clinching game for the Ticats. Do not read what the CFL put out. The Saskatchewan Riders, Saskatchewan Rough Riders, BC Lions game, the outcome of that makes no difference. I sat here since they did that and I'm trying to figure out. So I I don't know. Did you see the the tweet they put out, Mike, about the playoff scenarios this this weekend? I did not, no. Okay, so they put out graphics as they do every week. Oh, here's what has to happen for the playoffs, for teams to clinch a playoff spot. And for the Ticats, it said... Owls win, Ticats win, Riders win, Hamilton clinches the playoff spot. Now, 
last week for three down, go, uh, and my uh, my last point that I always make about the game is what's coming up the next week. And I had already done the sort of mental math to figure out, okay, what do the Ticats now need to do? Because the Alouettes had won, so it's like, okay, East semi-hosting is a little bit out the window, but let's see, what can they do to to host the... Because then the Stampeders had lost, so it's like, okay, what do they need to just get in the playoffs? So Stamps have four wins. But more importantly, Stamps have 10 losses. The Elks have 10 losses, and the Red Blacks have 10 losses. So if Hamilton beats Calgary, that puts Calgary at 11 losses, meaning the most wins they can get is seven. The Ticats would also be at seven wins, which means the Stamps can't cross over. The Elks are already at 11 losses, so Ticats getting to seven wins means the Elks can't cross over. Meaning if neither Calgary nor Edmonton can cross over, there's no crossover this year. Then we go to the Red Blacks. They're at 10 losses. If they lose to the Owls, they go to 11. And that means the most they can win is seven. And as we know, the uh, the Red Blacks need to have more wins than the Ticats. So if Hamilton beats Calgary and Montreal beats Ottawa, I don't care what the league is telling you. The Ticats will clinch a playoff spot. That means that whatever happens in BC or Saskatchewan when that game's played means absolutely nothing. I don't know why they put that in there. It makes no sense. But the fact of the matter is this. The 4 o'clock game on Saturday is Alouettes and Red Blacks. If Montreal wins that game, then Hamilton will go into Saturday night against Calgary with a win and in scenario. This would be the fifth straight season. Now, hold on. Before I get into that, does that make sense to you, That how I laid that out? Yeah, that, that all that all adds up, right? Like I haven't mm-hmm. I haven't screwed this up in any way, correct? No, I don't think so. But you know, I'm not the best judgment. But but I'm, I'm with you. I'm riding along with you. I think you're absolutely correct on this. Yeah, I just don't understand how the Riders and BC game has any bearing whatsoever on whether the Ticats make the playoffs when Hamilton winning. And the thing is, if you click on the article, they say a Hamilton win ends a crossover. So why would a, a West West yeah. matchup matter if Hamilton beating Calgary kills the anyway? Because I saw, because there there are some people out there who are like, well, if 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 Hamilton loses and Saskatchewan loses, then Saskatchewan could still. I was like, yeah, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about that if the Ticats win. They said in the anyway. So I think my scenario is the correct one. I don't think the Riders Lions game matters. So basically, what it is is, Owls win, Ticats win, Ticats punch their ticket to the playoffs. This would be the fifth straight season that the team will have qualified for the postseason. And Mike, I had to look this up because I was curious. This is something the franchise has not done since they made the playoffs in 12 consecutive years from 1978 to 1989. This team has not made the playoffs in five straight years since 89. How crazy is that? It's uh, an indication of... uh just how bad this franchise has been over the last 30 plus years. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say in the last 10 years, but yeah, if you go back 30 plus years and it's, it's been a rough ride for the most part. My younger brother who has a 13 year old son was born in 1989 and wasn't born when the Cats played in that great cup. He was born in December and that game was obviously played in November. My brother's never been alive to see the Cats make the playoffs for five straight seasons and he's about to turn 34 years old. That is insane. So it's that in simple, Mike. In a 19 Mike. league, yeah. In a 19, in a 19 league, league, it's pretty and, insane. And, and sometimes it was an 18 league, and then there was the American stuff, but that's 13, pretty yeah, nuts. That's yeah, pretty is. nuts. But anyway, it's simple, Mike. Owls beat the Red Blacks, Ticats beat the Stamps, and we're talking playoffs, and we're not doing it in that stupid Jim Mora voice. So what do you think the Ticats need to do against the Stampeders to hold up their end of the bargain here and punch their ticket to the playoffs? Can you believe that Jake Mayer is leading the league in passing yards? No. 
It seems absurd, does it not? It does. It does. I'm just looking at these stats here, and I could not believe I see his name at the top of the list. But um, listen, I think that if you beat them along the along the lines, uh, if the offensive line holds up well for Hamilton, I think Taylor Powell will be back to that Taylor Powell that we saw in the two previous games before the Toronto Argonauts game. I think if he has time, he can be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I, I really believe that. If you stop Kadeem Carey from running the ball, even with Jake Mayer, you know, leading the league in passing yards, <clears throat> you'd like to to make him beat you, right? Because he's not really a deep threat guy. You know, you're not really scared of him. He's a dink and dunk kind of guy. So if you can take away the run game from the Calgary Stampeders, I think you have a really good chance of beating them. And, you know, just limit the penalties and limit the turnovers. We play a clean game. Clean game against the Calgary Stampeders, and they're not, they're not a very good team. I think we should easily win if we uh, if you factor in all those all those uh, what do you what you might call it uh, factors. So factor in the factors, Josh. Factor I, I'm a in genius the factors. Factor, factor in, in the factors. factors. Um, for me, it's, it's simple. It's one thing. Don't beat yourself. They're better than the Stampeders. The Stampeders are a bad football team. The Tie Cats are a mediocre football team. I think that's the that's the way I yeah. would describe it. Hamilton's. The Stamps, to me, are—this is the worst I think we've seen the Stamps since, like, Matt Dunnigan was running the club 20-something years ago. Mm-hmm. They're not good. They—their whole—we're just going to recruit, and we're not going to sign our own free agents, or we're going to sign a couple of them, but we're going to let a lot of people walk, and we're just going to replenish through through scouting and through the draft. It finally caught up with them because they don't have a superstar quarterback. Like, Jake Mayer potentially leading the league in passing is more— surprising than maybe anything that would come out of this CFL season. Like, and we started the year being like, Chad Kelly's going to win MOP. And that's a real, like a real possibility right now. Now with the Argos resting guys, that's probably going to go by the wayside as well. And Zach Claris is going to win his third in a row, but Jake Mayer potentially being the guy that throws for the most yards this year is like, I don't even know what that says about the league. Quite frankly. I mean, I guess it says a lot of quarterbacks got hurt that, you know what I mean? But they're not good. What was the final last week? 28, 11, like, and that was at home coming off a bye. Like this is a bad Stampeders team. And there is no excuse for a Ticats team that at home beat the Bombers that has beaten the BC Lions that tends to beat the teams that are below them. They swept the Red Blacks. They split with the Elks, but they were two different teams at the time. And Edmonton had the, you know, the new quarterback and new coordinator bump that the Ticats didn't get. But they tend to beat the teams that are below them. The Stampeders are clearly below them. If they don't turn the ball over a ton, if they don't commit a bunch of stupid penalties, if they don't shoot themselves in their own foot, they should easily win this game, in my opinion. This, this, I'm not going to say it's going to be a blowout or whatever, but I don't think this should be particularly close, even with a rookie quarterback starting again in Taylor Powell. Like, I just don't know what the Stampeders do well, because it's certainly not scoring. They don't score a ton of points. I mean, the Ticats don't score a ton either, but I got to think – this defense against bad teams has been fairly good. I, I just don't see any way that the Stampeders win this game, and it's really just about what the Ticats do. If they don't make a ton of mistakes, I think they win this game rather easily. I, I, I just don't see it any other way. Like th- if they lose this game, and we're gonna be we're gonna be here talking about no toes Jones. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the, you know, if the game was in Calgary, I might be a little bit more wary. But since it's in Hamilton, you know, we're at home front of the home crowd. It's, it's a big game. I think they're going to be pumped. So uh, I'm not overly worried about it. anything can happen, but uh, I think it's going to be a win come, uh, come this weekend. 
Yeah, and I mean, even at home, the stamps haven't been that. I mean, I know it's Hamilton and McMahon, but we we broke that curse last year. That that doesn't that doesn't hang over. That's not the albatross that hangs over our neck anymore. So, I, I don't know. I just I just look at the matchups. I look at what I've seen. Now I haven't. I'll admit I haven't seen every single second of the Calgary Stampeders. I mean, I was heading my way to Toronto last week while that game was on, but I mean, just look at the they, they let Montreal again coming off a bye at home. Montreal goes in there and just, from what I saw, slapped the piss out of them. I, there's no excuse for this team to to lay an egg in this one. They they got their lunch handed to them by the Argos. There's their wake up call. Now it's time to go on a run here to close this season out with some wins, and you, you just have to win this one. And with the potentiality of if, and again, I guess they'll know, but they won't really know because it's not like they'll be watching the game because they'll be warming up. But if the Owls knock off the Red Blacks, it's as simple as win this game. And you're going to the playoffs. And then once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. So I don't know. I guess, I, again, I, I don't know what much else to say about the game. I just keep looking at it. And it's just, I can't come up with a reason to think the Stampeders will, will win this game. I just can't. No, and, and you know, we, win, we win this game, book our ticket to the playoffs, and then we can start thinking about maybe catching Montreal, which isn't going to be easy because they have the season series, but we do have one more game against them. So it's still a possibility and uh, it's something to play for in the last couple of weeks. So a little bit of motivation for the team. It It is. I've looked into it. It's really hard, but you know what? We will wait until we've actually clinched a playoff spot before we'll get into that, that which I mean, could be mm-hmm. as early as next week. And we'll go through the scenarios of what the, what the owls have left, what the tabbies have left, but it, it looks a little dire right now. If I'm being honest, that loss to the Argos, which, it's somewhat expected. It was actually less the loss to the Argos and more the Owls beating the Stamps that yeah. really kind of made it difficult. But uh, we'll get into that next week. Uh, if if and when the well when the Ticats clinch playoff spot because I do believe they're going to make the playoffs. We'll talk about it. If that happens to be this weekend coming up, then we will definitely talk about that next week in uh, ca- trying to come up with a scenario where the Hamilton Tigercats host a playoff game after not hosting one last season. But uh, until then, that has been Podski Weaver for this week. I am Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.